Hello and a big warm welcome to you to the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning Podcast with Marion Rose and Joss Golden. We are really passionate about practicing aware parenting and natural learning together and would love to offer you information and inspiration to support you if you feel called to practice these in your family too. Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning Podcast. My name is Marion Rose. And my name is Joss Golden. And we're back again for part two of our school trauma episodes. We did part one quite some weeks ago, and I think it was so powerful, actually, that we've, for various reasons, we kept postponing and postponing. But I think that it was because it was really significant as an episode, and we really wanted to continue and expand and and deepen what we were sharing about. Yes. Yeah. And it's, we've had so many conversations about it in the in the weeks between, and it's really helped us to get clear about how we would like to share this information and, and share more about this more widely and to make sure that we do it in a way that's really clear and really compassionate at the same time. So I've loved all our conversations about it. I love that you've mentioned compassion, Joss, because we're really going to be inviting you, dear listeners, to have a lot of compassion for yourself as you listen to this. We talk in this episode about this gradual process of gaining more and more awareness about the effects of our schooling on us and the traumas that are involved that are often invisible. And I think it really requires a lot of self-compassion to to be willing to see those next layers and levels that perhaps we haven't seen before. So we really want to invite you to hold that as primary. And if you need to pause at any time, this can be a lot of information. So we really invite you to go gently with this. Yes. And and if you are listening to this episode and big stuff is coming up for you, we really invite you to, to find ways to connect with us on social media to talk about it. It is a really big process. And I've been through my own big process, really exploring the next depths and steps of of my understanding about my experience and the impact that that had on me at the time and the impact that that continues to have on me. And so I really can resonate with anybody who's feeling that kind of rawness and that sort of fragility that comes up when we start exploring some of these things. So yes, we are sending you so much compassion, so much compassion. And what we are wanting to talk about in this episode is just to talk more, I suppose, about school trauma, how it how it we experience school trauma when we're at school, some of the things that are the visible and the invisible traumas that we experience. And unpacking a bit this idea that I, I went to school and I'm fine, I turned out okay, or Often we hear people say that they loved school, and of course some people do love school, but I think it's it's often as a result, and we will talk through this more in the episode, but as a result of the fact that we are experiencing all of these very challenging experiences at, at school, we often are going into that dissociative state in order to, to survive it and to endure it, and it's difficult when we're in that level of dissociation for long periods of time to be really clear about what we're really feeling and what we're really experiencing in the moment. So, yeah, we're just going to unpack that a little bit more. Yes, and we're going to talk as well about some of the the beliefs and conditioning that can happen as well that can be invisible, and often we may not really actually realise that that's been caused by our school experiences and. You know, what I was thinking about recently is back in about 30 years ago when I was first learning about trauma when I was training as a psychotherapist, in the culture at that time, particularly anyone I was talking to anyway, like it was still really that mindset of like, you know, my parents did X, Y, and Z to me and I'm fine. There really wasn't that understanding of trauma that is more in the in the mainstream nowadays. And I really think that school is still in that position that parenting was back in those days. It's just like, you know, we we all went to school and we're all fine. The level of dissociation, as you said, but also denial and you know, this cultural acceptance that, you know, that, this, that school is fine. It's, it's a very powerful um, conditioning, I think, to really uncover gradually over time. Yes, absolutely. And I think that just 
really makes me think of this idea that just because something is normal, it doesn't mean that it's natural or good for us. And quite often when we start to look at what is normal in parenting, especially if we're we're practicing aware parenting in our families, and it really encourages us to think, oh, that's what normal is in our culture. But is that really what I want for my family? Is that really what I think is best for my children's well-being? And of course, when we think that children are spending 10, I mean, I spent 10 years at school, children now are spending 12 years at school day in, day out. And of course, it's going to have a big impact on on who they are, how they become. And years and years of, of mini and bigger traumatic experiences are going to affect them. So yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to start getting a more clarity about the impact of school in this picture around trauma that our children are experiencing. Yeah, and I think it's so important, isn't it? The more we can clearly see what happened to us and understand that, I think it can help us make much clearer decisions in the here and now for our children. I think that's so vital and essential. Mm, yes. And I love how Elisa talked in her latest book, Healing Your Traumatized Child, about the daily traumatic experiences that all children will face if they're at school, unless they're at an, a really amazing school, which really does take care of children in, in these ways that we support in aware parenting. But for the majority of children at the majority of schools, they are going to be daily experiencing many, many traumas and some occasionally bigger traumas too. And that that is part of that everyday experience for children. And I, I love how clear she is about that in the book. Yeah, me too. Such an amazing book, isn't it? We, we highly recommend anybody who hasn't read it yet to read that. And talking about daily experiences, we thought we might go through some of the daily experiences that are possible at all different ages for children to experience. So again, as we go through that list, we're going to be inviting you to listen into yourself. And do you remember having things like that happening if your child or children do go to school or did go to school, those kinds of things that you saw them experience. So again, to really listening to, to how much this resonates with you and your experience. I love that. Yes. Thank you for starting with that. So we thought we would start with just going through some of the things that happen every day that can be experienced as, as traumatic for our children. And we thought we'd start even before the school day starts and the the impact of waking up to an alarm clock and how that pushes your body straight away into that hyper aroused state and the the impact of rushing around and having to be ready and there's probably some shouting or often some shouting going on i know when my son was at kindy there was some shouting and some coercing to get him out of his pajamas to get ready for school running late arriving late, forgetting things at home because you're in that stress state and you've forgotten the hat or you've forgotten the lunchbox or whatever it is. And all of the unsettling and stress of, of that start to the day. Yes. And what that might mean as well in terms of not getting to listen into the natural rhythms and the the needs, like, you know, it might be a cold day and a child might be snuggled up in bed and like maybe having a lovely dream or I don't know, they're co-sleeping with us or they, they got a pet with them or I don't know, something that's that's yummy and needing to kind of move out of that state prematurely rather than just being able to savor in the yumminess. Maybe it's a cold, wintry day, or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, like needing to move from that state. And maybe they're not really hungry, but they're needing to have breakfast before going to school. So again, there are so many little but not little ways that they're, the trauma is really that they're not getting to actually move with their own rhythms in a deep connectedness with what their body is needing. That is, that's so profound. Yes, absolutely. And and all of those needs around choice and self-determination in, in, in each of these moments around you know, what they're going to wear or whether, like you say, whether they want to eat yet, whether they're hungry or not. And yeah, whether maybe they might. I remember my son used to love waking up and he would go straight into his toy room and he would want to play with toys and build things with Lego. And I would have to say, you've got to stop doing that now. <laughs> you've got to come. And so, yeah, all of those all of those needs not being met. And that's all within the first hour of the day. 
Yes, and imagine as well, you might be they might have been thinking about something or doing something the day before or the night before and, and waking up and wanting to continue that, but not not being able to again continue what they naturally are interested in and and feel called to do. I, I think we cannot underestimate the hugeness of that that kind of being pulled away from all of the things that are comfortable and enjoyable into this kind of kind of unnatural state of no, you need to get up, get ready, get dressed. Get, get out the door, get in the car, get on the public transport, get on the bike, walk, whatever it is. It's, it's, a, it's a big kind of rift away, isn't it, from their innate state? Yes. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's inevitable that several times during that process, our children will be pushed into this sort of hyper-aroused stress response. They're going to have cortisol and adrenaline rushing through their bodies as they're being rushed out the door. So they start their day in this hyper-aroused way, and there's very little opportunity to offload that energy and to, to get that out of the body. And so that just sits there for the for the whole day, and then again the next day and the next day. So, yeah, it's really profound, even though it seems like lots of little small things, the impact on us physically and psychologically is, is huge. So huge, isn't it? And the little things, how they accumulate and accumulate, accumulate, leading to that a deep discomfort in their bodies. That that can be like a, a regular state that becomes so common that it's just the way things are. Often, I think people, even as adults, don't actually realise how chronically non-relaxed they are, how stressed and stretched and tense they are. Yeah. And then if you're going off to school in that state before you even arrive there and you know that there's very little time, probably none, in your school day where you can come out of that using your natural processes and return to a state of restful relaxation, feeling loved, feeling safe, that that is going to be sitting in your body then for the entire day. So you're going to be in this chronic state of hyperarousal, which will require you to then go into dissociation. And that is all day. And, you know, these are physiological processes that are designed to protect us from threat for short periods of time. It's never something that we were chronically intended to be to be in for days at a time. So and I haven't even got to school yet. <laughs> and, you know, as you're speaking as well, I was thinking this, the stress and the trauma of also not being able to get to use those natural innate responses, like being trying to play, trying to be playful and silly and goofy and being told by parents, of course, who are stressed or teachers who, of course, who are stressed or other children, you know, to you know, stop playing or stop being silly or no, you need to put your shoes on now or, or trying to move into crying and raging and being distracted or punished or teased by other children, you know, so that's, that in itself is actually stressful and traumatic, the responses to those innate healing processes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So then we could imagine arriving at school and perhaps it's a young child that maybe they're in their first their first term at school or maybe they are feeling they've got lots of feelings but they are forced to separate maybe they're being pulled away from their mother and taken in inside even whilst they're crying and then perhaps the teacher might respond to them and tell them to stop crying or might be distracting them with toys or whatever but they're experiencing that that disconnection or perhaps they're an older child who's arriving at school and they're going into the playground and they've got nobody to play with because for some reason they're struggling to make friends. And so they're standing in the playground feeling self-conscious and, and unsafe and stressed and with no one to connect to. Or perhaps there's a teacher who's coming into the playground and shouting at them because they've forgotten their hat. And so they're being forced to go inside and taken away from their play. Yeah, and again, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the kinds of things that are coming to us that I, I'm noticing. Oh, I imagine I must have felt this, or I imagine I felt this a lot. Is like, and but they also might be uncomfortable, so they might be feeling cold and kind of shivering and trying to to feel warm. It might be starting to rain. They might have come in on their on their bike or walked to school and actually got wet or been cold, or it's windy, or you know, so needing to be outside rather than actually being in a warm environment. That in itself can be really uncomfortable and stressful. Yes, so many. We haven't even gotten the door yet. <laughs> we can probably do about two hours of all the pre, the pre getting in the door. Stresses. 
Yeah. And I, and I wonder if it's helpful for people to imagine as well that, you know, whilst you're listening to this podcast, imagine what it would be like for you if we said to you, you're not allowed to have a drink unless we give you specific times during the podcast where you're allowed to, and you're not allowed to pause and go to the toilet because you're only allowed to do that at certain times of the day. And, and I mean, going back to that school thing and the the experience of the toilets at school, I mean, because I was at boarding school, of course, so I could never escape from them, but the toilets at school are often a horrible, horrible place to go. And they're smelly and dirty and awful, and there's toxic graffiti on the walls or, or worse. So it's just that experience in itself is is a trauma, I think. Absolutely. Do you know, I even had a memory come up, like a, you know, a trauma memory come up just last week, actually, where I could literally, something happened in it. I could smell the chemicals. I could smell that kind of, that really strong smell from, from the school toilets. And it was really just like, wow, these, these things are all having an effect on the, on the child's body. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're sitting in a class where, you know, perhaps you're a teenager and you're sitting now in having to do a subject that you're not remotely interested in at all. And the teacher is going to stand in front of you and talk to you about it for an hour. And if they ask you your question, you have to respond, even though you're not really sure what the answer might be. And perhaps when you respond, you get the answer wrong. And then maybe the teacher will shame you or shout at you, or maybe the other children will laugh because you made a mistake and they're trying to release some of their fear. So they're laughing. And so you have that experience about sitting there, but you really have to listen because you know that you're going home tonight and you're having to do special homework about this because tomorrow you're coming back into the school and you're actually going to have an exam on this subject where you're going to have to answer lots of questions and sit in a in a big hall and it's going to be a stressful two-hour experience and you're going to have to write down and because you're stressed you're probably going to forget half of it and then you know that you, the next week the results are going to be published and you're going to either have done well or done moderately or done badly but that will be all a judgment of you and your worth and your intelligence and that will set up beliefs in you about how how smart you are how to affect your whole future and what you do with your life i'm laughing i'm half laughing and half starting to dissociate as you share this can we do some laughing draws? Because it's really horrendous when we really, really, really put ourselves in a child's shoes, back in our own shoes often, yeah. actually how horrendous it is. And I even just think about having to sit down behind a desk, having to stay seated on a particular chair. And often those chairs are really not ergonomically designed, very uncomfortable behind a desk in a particular place. That in itself for, for hours a day. I mean, that's like torture, isn't it? It is basically like a form of torture. No, no, you cannot just get up at any point or, or change position or sit on the floor or, or lie down or, you know, all the different ways that our bodies need to move. That's that huge. Yes. Yeah. And you can't, you, you can't get up. You can't, like you say, you can't move around. You just have to sit there. And stay there. Cushion. I mean, maybe nowadays you might be able to, but I know certainly <laughs> my tech school would go, I wouldn't have even known to go, oh, actually, this is really uncomfortable, this chair, and I'd like to have a cushion or I'd like to sit on the floor. Or, you know, just it's, it's there's so little choice and agency and autonomy. Mm. And I think to really understand that for most of us, we would have had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of experiences of not having agency, autonomy, and choice thousands of times of not actually needing to disconnect from what our bodies were telling us, whether we're all the things you said, hungry or tired or bored or frustrated or thirsty or needing to go to the toilet. We would have, we needed to dissociate from our innate body wisdom because it, it would be unbearable to stay connected with that level of unmet need that our body was communicating to us. No wonder it takes so long for, for most of us to reconnect with our needs and to understand what we're needing in the moment and to value that and listen to it and honor it and, and act upon it. Absolutely. And it happened. I, I can see that in my own life. Definitely. I completely disconnected from my needs, didn't have any awareness of what my needs were. And in fact, even before we started recording, we were having a look at the needs inventory on the Center for Nonviolent Communication website and just going through looking at those, which are all just fundamental human needs that we all have and how in the vast majority of schools, none of these needs are met. None of them. I mean, even air 
<laughs> the quality of the air is often not conducive to well-being anyway but and and same with the food we're talking about like how you're only allowed to eat at certain times and perhaps that might be having school food and I mean the food at my school was awful it was really disgusting it was often inedible actually and so I would either have to eat this and force myself to eat it even though I really hated it or I would be hungry and I remember being extremely hungry for the vast majority of time at school really yeah and I just used to eat white bread and because they used to give us bread in our in our houses so I would have toast and butter white bread toast and butter that's what I basically lived on and then then I was diagnosed with celiac disease and I think well (laughs) no wonder (laughs) basic needs for good nutrition delicious food and choice around choice about what we eat I know I I still remember I can actually remember exactly is it if it were today the um, the canteen school canteen in my middle school which they had back in England the day and we used to have semolina with this jam in the middle and I just I just like if anyone ever even mentions the word semolina to me because we were actually forced to eat it we couldn't we you know we couldn't get up and go out to play if we hadn't eaten all the food I mean that's just horrendous again I'm going to go back into horrendous and horrible I I just think you know how terrible for children again to to be needing to basically dissociate from what their bodies are telling them in order to be able to get a basic human need met in order you know to go outside and connect with other children yes as you're speaking that it's reminding me of, of all of the mini traumas that were associated with being in the dining room at school and at my first school we all had to sit wherever we were told so there was a table where you were allowed to sit at for that age or for your class or whatever and then at my secondary school that incredible traumatic pain of walking into the dining room and not really knowing where to sit or maybe you'd had a fight with one of your friends or maybe some of the girls were excluding me or you know and having to walk through the dining room and find a place to sit down at a table and yeah that in itself was also incredibly stressful and difficult to navigate yeah absolutely and also I'm thinking as well the amount of noise and particularly for highly sensitive children but for anybody just like you know I can remember that all the cutlery in the trays the plates just I'm, I'm banging now so you can hear of it just like so much input to to be with as well as like all the other so in terms of thinking about this the stress response that's happening over and over and over again like just accumulating tension more and more and more as the day goes on mm. Yes, I'm wondering. I'm I'm feeling quite stressed as we're talking about this, and I'm wondering if people listening might also be feeling quite quite stressed. Imagining if you put yourself back into that situation, so remembering what it was like, and also imagining what it might be like now as an adult to be in that environment where you're you're forced to to do these things and to experience these these challenges. It's a lot, isn't it? It's really a lot. Really is a lot. Really is a lot. And I think still that un- because of the undoing of it too, that most of us are still undoing the effects of those. Mm. Yeah. Again, you know, I keep coming back to clearly this is a thing for me. Like I remember for years I would I would be like in my twin even to my late twenties, I would wear things that were like fashionable but uncomfortable, trousers that were too tight for me, shoes that were uncomfortable. Like I just put up with that. I just thought that was a thing. If you know, I feel uncomfortable and I'd get home from whatever it was work or whatever and I'd take all that tight stuff off and put comfortable things on nowadays I just would I'm not willing to put anything on my body that's uncomfortable but you know those kinds of things that can take years and years and years to go oh actually you know it's really important to listen to our bodies if we to not put tight clothes on to not eat food that we don't want to eat to not you know to really come back again to listening to ourselves that, mm. that's a long-term trauma that keeps on. So a lot of these traumas, because of the conditioning that happens, they continue to re-traumatize us because we are constantly redoing to ourselves what was done to us back then. Yes. And, and even in the moment, we're getting re-traumatized because we're not having the opportunity to be releasing and healing from these traumas uh, on a day-to-day basis. And so often things like, 
I mean, I was just talking about if you'd fallen out with your friends or if you if you were having an argument or if, if you, you were being excluded. And, and there's a lot of that that goes on in school. It's on a continuum, isn't it, from just the, the mild unpleasantness of being with somebody who's who's being mean to you or who's arguing with you or something, right up to the really major thing of being actually physically bullied or assaulted, which, which is going on in school. But then the re-traumatizing of having to go back into that environment the next day and experience it all over again to not be able to escape from that and you know this is the reality for for lots of children and even if it is just a small thing where your your best friend decides that she doesn't want to be your friend anymore and so you're you're sitting on your own or or perhaps there's a boy that you you know you've got a bit of a crush on and he might say something really harsh and all his friends laugh and it's just it cuts you so deeply and then you know all of those accumulated daily experiences that our children are having or maybe we we love a new toy or maybe we love a new piece of clothing and we wear it to school and somebody says something mean about it. So there are just so many examples of that day after day after day. And then that really impacts us in the moment because it's really unpleasant and stressful to be in that kind of environment. But that shows up again in our lives as adults when it becomes you know, difficult for us to be in groups or difficult for us to make friends or all of these things. And so it's not just the moment that is stressful. And it's not just the fact that it's repeated relentlessly for 12 years. It's also then the impact that that has on us long term. Absolutely. That we can often be repeating those themes. I know for me that my first boyfriend, he ended up, him and my best friend went off together after like two weeks. And I know I just repeated those kinds of themes again and again and again. So the kinds of things we experience because we're trying to heal from them and make sense of them, we'll often keep on repeating those often for decades until we realize what's going on and get to go and heal from those original experiences. Yes, but such deep pain and trauma to be enduring in that process. Yeah. And again, really, you've talked about this somewhere about also being in these places where we don't have safe spaces to be sharing you know we don't have uh, parents basically there with us to actually come and say oh my gosh that was really painful or you know we're just not having that experience to to get to to share our feelings to get to feel safe to actually share what happens with us and on a moment by moment basis which again is so different if we are with our parents or parent or parents at home where there's so many opportunities to get to heal from experiences that are unenjoyable maybe with a friend or something so that in itself it's a lot to hold isn't it and to keep holding and keep holding keep holding all of these feelings that sit inside us all of this stress and trauma that sits inside our bodies and the repercussions of that you know that we might then become someone if we're dissociating a lot and I know for me that we become really really quiet because we're dissociating so much that the effect then that has in terms of friendships and how we're perceived or we go on to being hyper arousal more maybe we become the class clown or we're just constantly kind of just being harsh with the the teachers and, and what that means about how we're perceived and how we're treated and you know I was reading a novel this week and in it was a school scene and I actually really remembered something like this happening did, did maybe this didn't happen in your school but I know when I was at what's now high school is even when we we're like 13 so many of the boys would be particularly with the, the younger female teachers would be so so unenjoyable like the whole lesson would be trying to find ways to be really harsh to the teachers and I remember one of the teachers just kind of running out in tears once and, and leaving teaching because of this so again just all this unenjoyableness that would that's happening on that interpersonal level mm-hmm. day upon day upon day that's it's just so unenjoyable so stressful mm-hmm. Yes. And whether you're on the receiving end of it or whether you're witnessing it, really the impact is kind of the same. Exactly. The Even the witnessing is really traumatic, stressful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's interesting when you were talking then, I was thinking as well, it's, it's not just about how we're perceived by others when we go into these behaviours and it becomes like, well, she's just a shy person or whatever, but it's also who we believe ourselves to be which is just often so far away from who we truly are. 
Ah, oh, yes, Joss. And, you know, often really judgmental. I mean, I had so many judgments about myself for being so quiet. And and that those took, again, years and years and years to unravel and release and to realize, you know, because of course, children don't understand trauma. They don't understand stress. They don't understand why they're feeling the way they do or why they're behaving the way they do generally. I mean, unless they're brought up with the way parenting, when often they do become very understanding of all of these things. But just to not understand, like, what, you know, why we're behaving in these ways. And so I think that that harsh in the dialogue is so common. I imagine also even for the children that do move into being harsh to other children, you know, I, I remember growing up that it was usually the ones that had parents who were being really punitive and harsh. And, you know, what happens underneath that behavior in terms of how they're perceiving themselves? So there's no escape room from it, is there? No, no. And I think you know, being on the receiving end of judgments, whether that was from teachers or from other children or both probably, day in, day out, about everything, how we were behaving, how we were dressed, how we did in a test, yeah, everything, then leads us to become people who who judge, judge ourselves and judge others. And and I'm yeah, I'm really resonating when you're talking about what a huge process it is to become free of that as an adult. And I have spent many years as an adult going into judgment of others and judgment of myself. And it's really only been in the last few years that I've started to get more free of that. And I still notice that we were having a conversation before we started recording and I was like, oh, that's a judgment. Oh, that's a judgment. And it's still a process that I'm unpacking and particularly in relation to myself. And yes, getting getting free of that is is just, just huge. It's a major trauma, isn't it? Being we're basically being conditioned at school to to learn how to judge and to compete and to compare, and it goes in a long way. It takes a long time to get to get free from that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's really scary as well. Sometimes, like when the teachers, I remember when the teachers were harsh to us, or when we got punished, or you know, when we were shouted at. Or when we were, you know, forced to do all kinds of things because we'd been naughty or whatever it was at school. It it was scary. And again, that's pushing you straight back into that hyper-arouse response where that adrenaline and that cortisol is coursing around your body because you are literally frightened for your your life almost. And you know, again, we're not designed to be spending hours and hours and hours of a day in that state. And and I was like constantly in in fear and then you develop this this pattern of being hypervigilant all the time looking around and 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 having to having to be aware of how your safety might be impacted if you actually showed up in an authentic way and so again then as an adult how can you really truly step into who you are in in an authentic way it's just it's so disconnecting and we end up as adults I see it again and again and I've seen it in myself and I see it in clients that I work with this deep wound of, of, of lack of, of self-worth and that who we truly are as who we really are is just not lovable, not worthy. And, and we can see where that comes from. And yeah, it is so invisible often, isn't it? Like I see that so often as people, people with exactly this and often on women entrepreneurs who all of this, all of the school hurt, all the school trauma shows up, but I'm not realizing that that's, that's so much of that origin is from our school experiences. Mm. Oh, yeah. Can you say that again, actually, Marion? Because I think that is really, really profound. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, me. I'm like back at school. Oh, it's really some trauma. Oh, my, even that, like, oh my gosh, someone said something that I said was blah, blah, blah. now I need to speak it out loud in front of the class. And I can't remember. I can't think now. I, I remember that kind of thing happening a lot. Too. I don't know about you, but I remember basically dissociating if someone asked me if I was asked a question or I needed to stand up in front of the class and and respond to something just completely going blank because I was dissociated because I was so scared about being judged or being shamed or whatever it was so mm, absolutely yes but yeah I, I was talking about I was like what, what what's so wonderful about that thing <laughs> the, you know as entrepreneurs or when we go to share our own gifts with the world that so often what comes up is either harsh conditioning which is things like you know who am I to do that or I'm not good enough or someone else is doing a com competition comparison or fear and terror and um, all kinds of painful uncomfortable feelings that show up when we go to do those so I often see that as the 
is the the painful feelings from the stress and trauma and also the conditioned thoughts that show up. And both of those will so regularly show up when we go to share our own gifts with the world. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that again. I just think it's so profound and, and, and unpacking that is a huge process. And I find myself doing it all the time. And I, I find myself, even with all this awareness and all of this years of therapy and all of the things that I've done to try to explore and unpack this, I still find myself going into harsh self-judgment, harsh criticism, harsh comparison, doubting, core beliefs that I'm I'm not good enough. Who are you to? Or, you know, all of these really deeply, deeply painful things. And I can see where they've come from and that that's they've come from that school experience and from those school experiences. Yeah, it's, it's so much of it is so invisible. I think that's why we come back to what we we're saying right at the beginning that so often people say, oh, no, it's fine, school's fine. And then actually to think about all of these things that we're talking about are the opposite of fine. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking about sports, and this is totally going back to what we were talking about before, but things like being forced to do particular sports. Again, I don't know whether that happened for you. Doing yep. things that we didn't want to do, think, doing things that we couldn't do, doing things that we felt uncomfortable to do, putting on like sports outfits. I remember um, in my secondary school, high school as well, we needed to have showers afterwards. And that was one of the most, I can still completely remember the the whole setup of that and how absolutely traumatic that was. I don't know whether that still happens nowadays. Do you? I don't know if you know anything about that, but just so many really, really unpleasant, unenjoyable, stressful things to be forced to do things that are really uncomfortable for us. I, know, I remember too, we would be, again, in the middle of the winter in England, like made to go on you know, cross-country runs in the mud and play hockey in the mud in the winter and just like, mm. that might be, you know, some children might love that, but for, certainly for me, I didn't enjoy a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's not even not enjoying, but just really stressful, traumatic, painful, uncomfortable. Mm. Yes, so unpleasant. And there's so many of them. I, we had that too. And communal showers, that was my, yeah, that was until... I, th I think until I was probably 16 or 17, we had to have communal showers or communal baths at school and so unpleasant. And then I'm thinking about having like really bad period pain and still having to go outside in the rain and play hockey or, yeah, like you're saying, going on a on a long distance run that you really don't want to do. And And often there is this idea that it's character building for children to have to do these things. But again, I just want to invite the listeners to imagine for a moment that right now somebody was going to come in and say to you, right, it's time to get up and you've got to go for a run now. And it's, it's, it's raining outside, it's windy and cold, and you need to put on your shorts. That's this uniform, this polyester uniform that I'm giving you, and you need to go out and run for two hours. You have no choice. You have to do it. And if you don't do it, you'll be punished. Just, and that is that's such a horror. It's a hideous thought. And yet that is the reality often most days for children at school that they experience something like that. Yeah. And I find too, even schools that are, you know, relatively more compassionate nowadays, I've, I've often heard them say things like, oh, you know, that, you know, Fridays isn't is an outside day. So as if that's, you know, how wonderful that they get to spend all day outside. But again, some children might not want to spend like spend all day outside, particularly if it's really hot or it's really cold or it's really windy. Again, just like the this power over that happens. I mean, basically what we're talking about really so much, isn't it? It's power over. It's mm. adults getting to choose what children do. And it's as we talk about a lot, it's adultism. It's just basically this belief that adults get to choose what children do and children's needs voices wisdom experience you know requests are not honored or valued or seen as as important and i think that's one of the invisible things that happens is that that i think this is why adultism is still so rife in our culture that that's what we all internalize and then <laughs> then we grow up having those same beliefs unless we question them or change them the adults get to choose. Mm -hmm. Children just need to kind of put up with it. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why we still have schools and why so many why it's so normal still for people to send their children to school because we developed at school ourselves this belief that they know best, the teachers know best, the school knows best, the principal knows best. And then we learned to give away our authority to the experts 
And then we become adults who just automatically do the same to our children and send our children to school because the teachers must know best and because we feel that we have to give away our authority around our children's well-being to to the experts, to the schools, to the institutions. It's very effective. Works very, very well, doesn't it? Again, as we've talked about before, the system works really well. It, these things get internalized and get passed down. Yes. So powerful to be questioning them. It is very powerful. Yeah. And and to be raising children away from that environment by homeschooling is such a powerful thing too in that respect because they grow up free from all of that conditioning and they don't internalize those beliefs that adults know best teachers know best leaders know best institutions know best they learn that maybe they are able to make choices for themselves and to know best for themselves and that they don't need to be coerced or punished or forced and there's nothing wrong with them and they're not lacking any anyway, and they can really trust themselves and trust their bodies and trust what they're called to do, and they can trust their no if it's a no, and they can really stand up and say no if they have a no for something because they know that they're safe to do that. Yes, it's very powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful. It's so clear, isn't it, that deep deep connection, that deep self-connection. I mean, that's what I want to say. You know, my parenting has certainly been many, many things that I did from my own conditioning and my own hurts, and my own stresses. But I, I do really see that really cool effect for my children that they are, well, they're not children anymore, but they're really deeply connected with themselves. Yes. And you can see that that contrast, if you've spent 20,000 hours in, in an institution where you've been on the receiving end of all of these things and much, much more that we haven't even covered today, and how that contrasts with having spent those 20,000 hours at home, in the community, outdoors, involved in activities, but following your heart, how how different that would be as an adult at the end of those two experiences. Absolutely. Because we didn't even talk about the end of the school day and what happens after that. And if there's homework and then needing to go to bed at particular times in order to get up for the next day for school, which means that the whole evening is usually then also arranged around that. And just it, it basically impregnates and infiltrates the whole of the, the day, even though it's not the whole day, it affects the whole day school. And it affects the whole week, really, doesn't it? Because you've, you're there Monday to Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, often you've got organized activities because so many of us are led to believe that we need to be busy in order to be <laughs> avoiding feelings really but you know to be active doing activities and extracurricular things and how vital that is so that our children learn all the things they need to learn so it's 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 24 7 really yes i think what, what we'd love to say as well is really remembering like if your child child or children have gone to school or are still going to school and if you have if you did that, all of these things we really can heal from them. Yes, it may take time, and and of course, the longer they have been at school or we were at school, the longer time often that takes because the more trauma is there, the more feelings are there, the more that conditioning and the conclusions that we made about ourselves and about the world and about children and about feelings. All of those things, of course, takes longer, but it really is possible at any age that we really are all we all have these inbuilt desires and longings for and I love how Aletha really articulates this it's this this striving for emotional health and well-being that we are constantly striving towards that and children you know whatever they've experienced will keep striving for that they will keep trying to be playful or they will keep trying to cry or they will move into hitting or biting or throwing to to so that we invite and offer those loving limits so that they can express all those big feelings about how powerless they felt. So I'd love us to include that too. It really is possible. Healing is really possible at any age and you know, including us for adults that we really can. It's a long journey, but we really can heal from many of these experiences or at least maybe not completely, but, but we can go a long way to that. Yes, it's it's an interesting thing to hold both those at once, this understanding that aware parenting supports us in so many ways to be able to allow our children to heal from all of these painful experiences that they might be having at school 
And at the same time, this this understanding that for us as adults, the process of undoing it all is is a really big one because we didn't have aware parenting then, and so we're having to unlearn and to to reimagine and to support ourselves healing, which is a a long and big and difficult process. Whereas if you've got your children at school and you're supporting them with aware parenting, of course, then the impacts of all this are are minimised. But I think awareness of of the stresses and the trauma that our children experience day to day when they are at school is also really helpful because then you can be making a really truly informed choice about what you want for your family and your children rather than just doing what is what is normal because that's what everybody else is doing. Absolutely. And I think the more we understand, the more we might be willing to change things, because often this invites us to change our whole life. And, and we know we're going to do an episode on this soon, aren't we, about really the, the other choices that then that leads to if we are not sending our children to school. It often invites us to rethink the whole of our lives. And often that does require really big choices from us. And I think the more we understand the reason for that and how we are protecting our children from a huge amounts of stress and trauma, then of course we're going to be more willing to make really quite big and significant different choices in how we live our lives and how we structure it and where we live and what we do to to earn money and all of those things because we really understand the, the bigness of the decision. Mm. Yes. It's not just a little thing. <laughs> no, but the more that people understand this and then the more that people choose not to not to do this for their families, the easier it becomes to homeschool and to be to be making other choices because there's more people around who are doing it and the infrastructure is better set up for families and uh, it's better understood and and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And when I said it's not a small thing, I was meaning like what they're experiencing, the amount of stress and trauma they're experiencing is not a small thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I agree. That's the wonderfulness, isn't it? The more this becomes more mainstream, the easier it will become for families. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Yay, indeed. So was there anything else that you wanted to highlight in terms of either the, the visible or the, the more invisible traumas that our children might be experiencing at school or the impacts of that trauma? No, it really jumps out at me. We've got here in our little list being disconnected from oneself, family, home, pets, garden, place. As I sit here with Koyo on my lap, and yes, I might have been, <laughs> I just nearly fell over <laughs> trying to get them to stop fighting. <laughs> but um, I would still always choose that to have like, and, and including like how I live my life now. But for a child, if they have got animals that they live with, or, or they're also their siblings, I mean, we haven't even talked about that, like being separated from siblings, I see that has a huge effect. But just actually being able to be in, in their own homes and be in places that they're really comfortable and having their own spaces and being connected to that land, that's so different from being in a, in a school building that is so impersonal and often like old and and kind of dirty and just like just not a really very pleasant enjoyable place to be in spending 20,000 hours so that's one last thing I'd like to say yes. <laughs> how about you Joss um I think the last thing I would like to say is the impact of not getting to choose over and over and over again every day and not being treated with respect and love over and over again every day is is really huge and how that then pushes us into a disconnection from our authentic self and the impact of that yes such a big yes in all the ways us as adults feel often really frustrated or really powerless or really rageful because of all those thousands of times we experience that powerlessness and that lack of agency and choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I also just want to say something around how Elisa so beautifully describes in her book, these processes, again, that we go into in response to threat that are perfect and magical to keep us alive and that are designed to be short-term physiological states. And the fact that our life now and putting our children in school, for example, results in, in them being in chronic states of hyperarousal and or dissociation for most days, for 12 years of their lives, ha has a huge impact on their health, their physical health and their mental health. 
And I, I can see it in myself, the more I've learned about, about trauma and healing from trauma and the impact of, of being in these physiological states for long periods of time, the more I'm, I'm really concerned about it. And we can see the impacts of that in terms of the, you know, the worsening mental health for our adults and, and children now in the world and the significant challenges that many children are now facing in terms of anxiety, depression, and, and yes, and, and where that comes from, from being in these states for, for long periods and then on them longer term in terms of their health, their physical health and disease. So I just think it's really, it's really big to understand that. And it's then really possible to to make other choices and to get more support and to, to prioritize our healing and our children's healing so that these things are not long-term negative impacts on, on health, psychological and physical health. Yeah, I really so appreciate how clearly you stated that. So again, I think, and I think that's what we're so wanting to do in this podcast, aren't we, to really support people to see how important this, this is so that, that we can all make really big choices so that we can actually support our children to have long-term, you know, most optimal outcome that they can in their in their in their physical and emotional health mm. yes so um we are wanting as always to send so much love and compassion to everybody listening to this it is really really big stuff to start understanding in in more depth if it's something that's already been in your awareness or if this is new information to you it's a really big big thing to be confronted with so we are sending you so much love and if you have big feelings in response to what you've heard we're here to listen to you in in any way that you want to connect with us because this is profound and uncomfortable yes yes so 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 much love to you and if you do have an empathy buddy we invite you also to to reach out and to get to share it it's so important that we get to share these kinds of feelings with someone else who's able to listen so yeah we invite you to do that too <sighs> Joss, sharing about what we're doing at the moment or offerings or any of those kinds of things, would you like to? Yeah, thank you. So I've just start about to start a new live round of my Web Parenting Teenagers course, which starts on the 22nd of May, which I really, really love. And so there will be Facebook Lives and Zoom conversations and then, of course, access to the, the course material that is an ongoing, on, available lifetime access. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I love this course and I'm loving it more and more as, as more and more families are joining and I'm seeing really profound shifts. I'm getting beautiful words from people about the deepening in the connection and, and loving relationship that they're having with their teens as a result. So it's really profound. What about oh, you, Marian? So beautiful, Joss. I love, love, love that you're doing that. And uh, yeah, and I've got my sleep course coming very, very soon. But do you know what I was thinking as I was sharing about this? People might be interested in my power and powerlessness in parenting course because it's it was when I created that many years ago where I was really thinking about all those times I had felt powerless as a child so there's a lot there to support us to you know, to really understand more about our own powerlessness as parents and how to transform that so it has less of an effect on our children beautiful beautiful mm. yes thank you thank you wow this is big hey <laughs> yeah um yeah we're just sending you lots of love thank you for being part of this community and we so look forward to sharing more and we'll probably have something maybe a little bit more gentle next time to give you an opportunity to let this sink and, and settle in yourself. And we want to remind you as well, just as we were doing laughing, laughing, crying, talking, those are all the ways we get to heal. So if you suddenly find yourself crying later on today or laughing or sharing an experience that you're remembering from your school days, we really invite you to trust yourself and, and really go with that process. Yes. So much love to you all. We have really enjoyed talking to you today and we hope that you enjoyed the episode too. We are sending you love however you feel after hearing this information. To find out more about Marion's work, you can go to marionrose.net and for Joss's website, it is awareparenting.com.au. We wish you much love and connection on your aware parenting and natural learning adventures. Mm -hmm.